Good morning, everybody. Uh, we are uh, still a few weeks out after Easter, and so we've been uh, talking through, this is week four of, um, we've been kind of talking about and then. So, so we spent a year going through the Gospel of Mark, where uh, we were looking at the life, the words, the miracles, ministry of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and then these things happen, you know, so we've been talking about, and then this is true. So Fred, the first week, walked us through um, the, you know, Jesus kind of appearing and his ascension, and then we talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. Last week, we talked about the mission of the church, and this week, uh, we're talking about our, our future hope. We're, we're talking about our future hope. So there's two things we're going to look at today. We're going we're gonna to learn uh, kind of a, a lesson from a funeral in John chapter 11, and then we're going to go to the last two chapters of the Bible in Revelation. So, so if you want to uh, find those spots you can. We'll be in John 11 briefly, and then we'll look at uh, Revelation chapter 21 and a little bit of chapter 22. As you're turning there, uh, have you guys have you ever had a day like that's been on your calendar or been in your mind, and you're like, I just got to get to that day? You know, like students, maybe like you've got a mini golf thing planned with your church that you're so excited about. Um, you know, may, or maybe like it's like you're finally getting to go to like Carowinds, like you got a school, it's end of the year. Like I remember in middle school having end of the year field trips for like anything. They're like, hey, if you've ever read some of a book, raise your hand. You're, you're like, great, you're going to Carowinds. You know, like that was, so you got that trip coming up or maybe it's like Christmas, like or a holiday you're excited about. Um, or, or maybe it's like vacation, like, like we're getting to that time of year where for a lot of us, like we've got maybe a, a, a you know, a trip to the beach planned, or we've got a vacation planned, and it's like, I just got to get to that day. A, a few years ago, Anna and I had a trip planned. Uh, we had just welcomed our second uh, daughter into the world. It was a very busy season of life. Um, I was, I was uh, in a very kind of kind of fast-paced, high-expectation ministry where, where we were expecting to kind of move facilities and like double in size. Anna was just going back to work. She was a nurse uh, in the trauma care unit. And so we, we had just had our second, so we had a two and a half year old, a newborn, Anna was back at work, and we had vacation on the calendar. And it was like, we just got to get to that day, right? Anybody been there before? You felt that? Well, here's, here's what happened. I actually came here on our way to the beach uh, to preach on Father's Day. It was like two or three years ago. And we, so we, we pulled up, we had the minivan loaded up, the kids were ready to go. You know, we had a uh, backup, you know, Benadryl just in case for the kids, just in case. Uh, not saying we would do that, but if we had to, we would. Um, uh, I'm kidding. We're in Asheville, so like everybody's either all medicine or no medicine. I never know what we're going to get here. But um, so we, we're like, got the minivan, we're ready to go. And so, uh, so I actually come and I preach, and, and as I'm getting ready, on, it's on Father's Day, uh, I, like wasn't, I woke up not feeling great and, and didn't feel that good. And, and then we, you know, preach get in the van, and uh, we, we drive down. We're going down. It's like a, like a nine, ten-hour drive. We break it up. We roll in about midnight, and we're about an hour away, and, and the van, our minivan starts making some weird noises, and, like, the dashboard lights up, all the warning signs. All the, we literally, like, sputter into the parking spot in the condo and, and, and uh, get everything unloaded, all the kids inside. You know, it's, it's, it's very late. Wake up the next morning, and I have RSV. Like, I didn't even know adults could get RSV, but it happened. So, like, I spend the first three days of vacation 
like in the, in, the, in the room, you know, like migraines, coughing, body aches, it was miserable. And then um, in case you haven't noticed, uh, in person, if you watch online, you'll definitely be able to know that I only get whiter. So like going to the beach is like a love-hate thing for me because I was, in the vaca- I was like in the room with RSV and then the next three days to make up for lost time, I just got a terrible sunburn, you know? And on top of that, we've got young kids, so vacation's not vacation, it's a trip, right? And then so we came back, and I was like, so when do we feel rested? You know what I'm saying? Like, we get back, and it's like hit the ground running, back to work, back to everything, except for now I'm recovering from RSV and I'm sunburned. But the the point is that, like, we all kind of have naturally built in us, like, anticipation. Like, we love to look forward to, like, that day. Birthday party, vacation, holidays last day of school, whatever that thing is. Like, like we can't wait to get to that day. But we know that oftentimes life is just life. And you're ready to go to vacation, but you end up sick. Or you're ready to go and your car breaks down. Or you're ready for this happen, but something else. And we, we find ourselves asking the question, like, why does it have to be this way? Like, why, have you ever caught yourself to ask, why can't life just be easy? Like, why does brokenness have to exist? And today, what we're talking about is we're talking about all the time throughout scriptures, and and especially in the New Testament as the writers, they're talking about that day. And what what we're talking about, like I said earlier, is the future of the church and that day when Jesus comes back for us. And so, so what I want us to do, what I hope for us today is that we walk away uh, with excitement about that day when Jesus comes back as we look at what scripture has to say about it because, all right, if you, if you caught up, if you were here last week, if not, let me catch you up because the future hope is, like I said, Jesus coming back and it's the fulfillment finally of what we talked about last week is that we get to live in the presence of God as we feel the tension of saying like, I just gotta get out of here. See, uh, we feel what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7, where he said that, that God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we have that reality. We live in that. That's the anticipation, kind of that seed of hope that we have. But here's what he said in verse 7. He said, but we have this treasure We have this reality of the eternity living in the presence of God's goodness and glory. But he said, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And sometimes those jars of clay, these bodies that we live in, the reality of life here on earth, where we already know Jesus has come to start the new creation, but hasn't come back quite yet. The people that we are as the people of the in-between is that we fill the jars of clay and we, we feel that tension. Right, So as we're talking about like the future hope, Jesus coming back, if I had to guess, a lot of us uh, may have what I like to call the evacuation theory. Okay, so the evacuation theory is the idea that like this earth, bad, heaven, good, and so I'm going to do whatever I can to get off earth and be in heaven forever. Maybe even that's like when you heard a gospel presentation before of, hey, if you want to live in heaven with Jesus forever, then here's how you do it. But the truth is, if you look at scripture, 
is that the goal of God, like God's goal and God's purpose for us as humans is not to get us off of this earth forever, but to infiltrate earth with heaven forever. And that's what the new creation is. See, we were made for the earth, right? Like we are earth creatures, all right? Like if you look at the Hebrew in, in Genesis 1 and 2 where it talks about creation, like we are dirt creatures. That's what Hadam means in, in the original language. It's, it's the, the man of dust. And so what we're talking about, future hope, and I want to get to why this is a future hope for us. It, it's what Peter said in Acts 3.21. He said that Christ must remain in heaven until the time comes, until that day comes for God to restore everything just as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And so in John 11, we pick up a story of some people who are living in that tension. They're living that tension of knowing the treasure of Jesus and all that he is and what he's done and what he has to offer, but the reality of the broken world that we still find ourselves in. See, uh, Jesus had some very close friends. There were two sisters, Martha and Mary, and a brother, Lazarus. And, and Jesus and Lazarus were really, really close. Lazarus was sick, and Martha sent word to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, Lazarus is not doing well. Can you please come and heal him? At this point, Jesus was about a year into his ministry, and so everyone knew what he could do. Like everyone, everyone who knew him and believed in him knew what was going on. And so it says it's an interesting thing because Jesus gets the message and he waits four days. All right, if you've ever wondered, just Bible nerd, trivia note, why he waited four days, the rabbinic belief was that after day four, there was no more hope of the spirit entering back into the body. That's why later in the same story, Jesus said, hey, I'm actually doing this not for you guys, but for them. Talking about the Pharisees and the other religious leaders who were coming to watch. So Jesus shows up on the scene in John chapter 11 and Martha comes out and she says what we're talking about, like, why does it have to be this way? She confronts Jesus with that tension of, hey, Jesus, she says, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Like, Jesus, if you had turned up, this would not have been how it played out. But, but, but Jesus looked at her and he, and, and he said, your brother will rise again in verse 23. In verse 24, she said, oh, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Okay, so that's the, that's the future hope. That's the Sunday school answer. I know eventually one day, Jesus, like, I know that's going to happen, but I live here. And then Jesus said to her in verse 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God who has come into the world. See, Jesus, what he gives us here, kind of two things that, that I want to talk through is we're talking through future hope and, we're, and we're, we're, we're kind of addressing the tension of, yes, there's the future hope, but we're not, we're not meant to be absent-minded on here because we're only ever thinking about the future. So what I want to talk about is the future hope and then what that means for today. It's kind of like that old hymn that we're going to sing a little later on. It's strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Okay, so, so we're going we're gonna to look at that in just a little bit because we're going to look at the, kind of the way Jesus answers her question is, Jesus, why does it have to be this way? The, the answer he kind of gives there is, it doesn't have to be this way, and it won't be this way. It doesn't have to be this way, and it won't be this way. See, when we're talking about the day of the Lord, okay, and we're thinking about that day, the New Testament authors, they, 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 they are using Old Testament imagery and language 
to show how Jesus coming onto the scene and doing what he did like kind of drastically changed everything. Okay, because the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, all throughout the prophets, it was the day that, that the people of God would look forward to when God would come back and free his people and exact judgment on the enemies of his people. Okay, well, we now know, like we just went through a year of the life of Jesus, that Jesus kind of flipped that upside down on his head because now uh, all the people of God believe in a crucified and a resurrected Messiah. So if, if Jesus took on the wrath of God for all of his enemies' anger, we know that the future day of the Lord is going to look a little bit different now because we know that Jesus came to change the way that that looks. So, so, so when we talk about, like, I talked about the, the evacuation theory. Uh, I, I just finished this newest season of The Mandalorian yesterday, so I, I thought about changing it to the jetpack theory because there's a lot of jetpacks in the newest season, uh, like, like an outrageous amount, but I won't spoil anything for you if you haven't watched it yet. But, but it's kind of like... Like, we, we think, like I said, that, that, that you know, we place our faith in Jesus, and, and, and we've kind of done a blanket term, and maybe this is just me in the way I grew up, but it was like, hey, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you'll go live in heaven with Jesus forever. And I think that's partly because of the tension that we feel of living on earth at the last 150 years in American, like the American story has just been absolutely brutal. And so there's just more hope a lot of times of like leaving earth forever. Like why would we want to be here? And I think a lot of that has to do with enlightenment thinking too of like matter is bad but spirit is good. Kind of that dualism. And so, so the idea of like wanting to leave earth and leave the body forever to go be in heaven was preferred. But uh, we know that that's true for people who, have, who believe in Jesus and have passed away, have died on earth Paul said that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross that that today you will be with me in paradise. So so for now, you know, Paul gets into it a little more in 2 Thessalonians 4 when he talks about those who who have died but have placed their faith in Jesus. He says that they're with the Lord. Okay, like what all that means, like I don't know. There's a guy, Randy Alcorn, he wrote like a 700 page book called heaven and it gets into all this stuff so so but the, so we're not going to get all into like the, the whiteboard classroom session today um, but what we know is that that for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus the hope that we have is that we'll be with Jesus but but Paul goes on in that same chapter to say that those who have fallen asleep in him experienced physical death but are with him in spirit that they're going to return to earth one day see when Jesus said he's the resurrection and when we know that the resurrection of Jesus happened, it's not just about where you go when you die. I love N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope, talks about life after life after death, which is what we're going to be talking about today. See, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just kind of this way for us to put together a formula to share the gospel, even though it's a vital part of it. The resurrection of Jesus was a watershed moment that points everything to the final destination of being resurrection and restored. That's why when it talks about God coming back and, and the ministry that Jesus came to give us, it's always, it always has re in front of it, right? It talks about God coming to renew, to restore, to reconcile. It's because our future and final destination is earth. All right, and I know that might sound a little odd, but just bear with me here because we're going to look through and I'm hoping, like I said, to give some like how that's exciting because while we live in that tension of having this treasure but in jars of clay, 
the, the reality is that the future is that we get to live in it with no more tension. Because here's what Peter says. Peter writes in his second letter. He says, the day of the Lord, talking about Jesus coming back, will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. All right, think of roaring fire, like a cackling fire. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Okay, so... So the word laid bare, with that kind of, with that, the word image there, the Greek, it's, it, there's no exact like Greek to English translation, but it's the idea of when Jesus comes back, his glorifying presence will expose all wrong things, and they're going to have to go away forever. They're going to be done with once and for all. So without getting like into the super nerdy theological weeds, if you want to, I'd love to have coffee and do it, okay? I'd love to go there with you. Um, but the point here is that when Jesus returns, the earth and everything on it, they will have their works exposed. They will have the things that they've worked hard to make a reality exposed, and all wrong things will be made right. And that, that's why the judgment of the Lord is for those who have not called on his name, for, for those who have not placed their faith in Jesus. In Hebrews it says that without faith, humans cannot please God. So, so that's why, because Jesus, what he did, his life, miracles, resurrection, his death on the cross and his resurrection, what it did is that it, it made him the great mediator. It talks about it in, in Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, at the end, it talks about God being a consuming fire, meaning that he's coming to like gold put in a furnace, get rid of all wrong things so that purity and goodness can be made right in the presence of God forever. But without the mediator, without the mediator, then there's no hope. Nothing's going to survive that isn't in Jesus. But let's look at Revelation 21. It's kind of look like you're like, okay, man, that sounds like maybe, maybe this is like the whole idea of like the new earth and us being on earth forever and not going to heaven forever is, is a little different. Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 21. Uh, we're not, I'm not going to read every single verse. I'm just going to kind of pick out uh, kind of the main point from three sections and show us the way uh, that, that Jesus is going to come back and renew the earth and what that might kind of look like for us, like what we might experience. Um, are you guys with me? Everybody awake? I know this is a little heady and kind of weird for some of us. Like it's Sunday morning. Most of us are still waking up, uh, so I understand this can be a lot to jump into, but you're welcome. Welcome to church. Okay, so let's look at the first five verses here and talk about three ways that, that G, what it's going to be like on the new earth, okay? So, so then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So this is, this is John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, being given a revelation and what he's doing is the book of Revelation is just this constant over and over like um, kind of revealing of the Old Testament prophecies, how they're going to be uh, come completed in Jesus. So the new heaven and the new earth, if you want to see a little bit more detail on that, you can go to Isaiah 65 and look there. And so that, that's where he's quoting from. So then I saw a new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. So if you're wondering what passed away looks like, we just read that verse from 2 Peter where Jesus comes back and, and everything's consumed by his presence. Verse two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven of God. The holy city in Jerusalem is where the temple was. That's where God's presence was, was, was connecting heaven and earth. 
Okay, so what this is a picture of is, is as Jesus returns, he's bringing heaven down to earth to infiltrate and cover the earth. So it said, I saw him coming down out, from, uh, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, looking for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old orders of things has passed away. So the first thing that we experience when Jesus comes back on that day is all wrongs made right. All wrongs made right. See, when it talked about new heaven and new earth, that's, that's, that's uh, like I said, John referring back to Isaiah, which Isaiah is just this like constant prophecy of, hey, you guys have not it's, it's kind of Isaiah acting as a lawyer on behalf of God for the covenant and saying, hey, God put his presence in the temple. He made a covenant with you. You've broken the covenant. So now here's how God's going to treat you as a member of, of like a party that's broken the covenant against God. But then he ends Isaiah with this future hope, really picking up in chapter 40 through the end of Isaiah, where it's, hey, even though there's going to be a time where the temple's going to be destroyed and God's, God's presence is not going to be with you, one day I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to actually make all, I'm going to make the entire earth my temple. And all wrong things are going to be made right because this is where God is going to dwell with his people. And see, so as we're thinking about the new heavens and the new earth, we're thinking about the future hope, we're picking up on themes from last week about our, our purpose in life is to dwell in the presence of God and to live with him. This is God coming to make that a future ultimate reality where there's no more jars of clay. Paul, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15 where he gives a very clear definition of the gospel and then he talks about what that means and it's about the resurrection from the dead, the, us being given a glorified body, that the perishable body being replaced with the imperishable. I know it's like, like Matt, I'm, I'm still trying to like like figure out if I remember to turn the oven on to cook that roast for lunch this afternoon. This is a lot to process, but here's the, here's the reality and here's the goodness here is that all of this is filtered and it's because an intimate communion with God in his glorious presence and it's finally forever restored the way we were made to live. We finally get to experience life the way it was meant to be made all the way back to the garden, all the way back to Adam and Eve before sin. That's what we were made for. Now, here, here's, this, here's the second way kind of in this all wrongs made right. It says there was no longer any sea. Okay, so, so the sea, uh, all throughout the like, Hebrew scriptures and uh, throughout Revelation, the sea is a symbol of like basically all things chaotic and bad. All right, so just in Revelation alone, the sea represents the origin of cosmic evil, the rebellious nations that cause trouble for God's people, the arena in which the idolatrous trade takes place where money and the marketplace is made an idol and it's a part of the dead and the old creation, so it's gone with. So not only is Jesus, is he coming and he restores and makes all things new, but that's how we know he gets rid of all things. When, when John put that in there, that, that's what's happening. Is he's saying that all, like, it's gotten rid of all the things that can cause trouble for us in life. And then, of course, we read, like, 
there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. And so when we're thinking about the future hope, like what we get to be ready for, what we get to prepare ourselves for, is to experience this beautiful earth the way God made us to experience it, where he replaces our tears of sadness with tears of joy, where he replaces our mourning with rejoicing in eternal life forever, where we don't feel pain because we've been given a body that's made perfectly in his image, just like Jesus' image as he rose from the grave and appeared to the disciples and, they, and, and Peter and John and Andrew got a glimpse of it in the transfiguration. Like, I remember, uh, so I like, to, I like to run, I'm a, I'm a runner, and um, everybody would say, like, I've, I've done a few marathons, and I've just kept hearing, like, well, just wait till you're 30. And for some of you 30, you're like, I'd, I'd give a lot of money to be 30 again, but let me just say, I've never been this old before, so this is just my experience. Um, I ran a marathon in February, and I'm still hurting from that marathon. And, like, preparing this this week, I, I like, went for a little three-mile jog, and, like, my ankles hurt and because of that marathon and I was like I can't wait to run in the new earth you know what I'm saying like just go for a run it's just it's gonna be so nice anyways okay I, I saw a few head nods there but but just think about that think about being able to live life on earth all the best parts of life with nothing wrong all wrongs made right that's the promise we have here's the second one let, let me look at verses 22 through 27 of Revelation 21 I did not see a temple in the city because Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Once again, pictures of God's presence being with us forever. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is is its light. The nations walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. And nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the first way we see the hope that we have in the future when Jesus comes back on that day is all wrongs made right. The second one we see is that all children brought home. All of God's children brought home, like, like just, just with these verses, let's just take a minute and just think about the experience of how different the experience of daily life is going to be. Like no more cloudy days. You know what I'm saying? Like, like no more mood affected by the weather. Like sunsets are, are glorious now, but think about the eternal light because of God's goodness all day long, every day. Like, like, like no more like sitting in prayer, begging God to make himself known because we're living in his presence forever, right? Like no more exclusion based on cultural, ethnic, or racial differences. Anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus, have died to self and live a life clothed in Christ, gets to experience what it's like to be in their true home. Have you ever, you ever like I love living in the mountains because going to the beach and going other places is fun, but there's something about driving back up here that's different. 
You know what I'm saying? Like I remember Anna and I moved down to Atlanta for a few years when we moved back here in 2016. And I remember being in the U, like being in the U-Haul, we're driving back up and I'm on I-40 right here where you go under the parkway and you come around and you see the Black Mountain Range, you know, and there's 240 right there. You're on top of that hill. I remember seeing that and I was listening to the bluegrass in my U-Haul with the windows down and it was sunset. And I thought, this is what the new earth is going to be like. Except for instead of the sunset, it's going to be God's light. Like I said earlier, I only get wider, okay? I I legit was listening to bluegrass. That's not a joke. But like, there's like, we feel that like homing beacon now, like wanting to get back home. Like imagine what it's like, that anticipation when it's finally fulfilled. Like he will be our light and we get to come live in his presence, all people. And I love, I love the images here. Like these kind of, these verses and the phrases here in in these verses, because one of my favorite things is is when it says the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought in. It's pretty cool. We've been talking as a staff of trying to figure out ways um, to to steward this well. We have like nine different nationalities represented in our church. And it's really cool for us. That's why like the potlucks for us are so important, because like the potlucks and eating different foods together is like a great way to practice heaven. It's like a great way to practice the future forever. Because look, when it talks about the glory and the honors, like Isaiah gives a bit more details of what that means. But it essentially means that, that everything good from every culture, every nation, every ethnic group is going to be brought to the, the family table. So like that, that's like, like we did the back home potluck a few months ago. If you weren't here, you missed out. But like everybody brought a little taste of what home meant to them. And that was like, that's just a very superficial face value way, but that is a glimpse of the future forever, right? It said like, like kings from the nations are going to bring their honor and glory to, to the table. Like anything good from different cultures comes, like can you imagine, let's just, let's just, let's do a thought exercise, you ready? Can we close our eyes for a second? Let's just think about the best burger you've ever had in your life. All right? Stay with me here, because I'm serious. This is for real practicing heaven. I'm not kidding. But then on the side, you have glorified pad thai. Come on, church. And there's a bowl of heavenly green curry right there by it. And then there's paella. I know there's no more sea anymore. I think that's figurative, but, but there's, there's a fresh steaming bowl of paella for seconds. And then there's a glass of the sweetest and best drink you could ever imagine. Like the glorified heavenly vines are given off the, the, the wine that Jesus said he's not going to drink again until the consummation of heaven and earth, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like can you just imagine? You can open your eyes if you want. Or you can keep thinking about food. That's fine. God didn't have to make food taste good. It could have just been like mush for sustenance. Have you ever thought about that? Like, food is grace. It's a sign pointing to heaven. But, like, it's the best family meal you could ever think of. And there's no exclusion based on anything because everyone there is included because their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, meaning that when we walk in, our ticket is, hey, Jesus, I'm clothed in Jesus, in faith in Jesus, it means that we've heard the story of Jesus coming and him dying on the cross in this life-giving, sacrificial love to pay the penalties for our sins. And he rose from the grave, making the reality that we're talking about today possible where we get to live in his presence forever. 
with our family. So here's the third way. Let, let me read verses, uh, just the first five verses of chapter 22. So then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. All right, remember Genesis chapter 3. It, it says specifically that after Adam and Eve sinned, God put up cherubim and a flaming sword to block not the path back into the garden, but to block the way to the tree of life. That's been done away with because of what Jesus has done. So on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every single month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever. So, so not only does Jesus come back and he makes all wrong things right, not only does he come back and call all of his children home, but he comes back and all needs are met forever. Look at the, like the pictures here, the number 12 representing completion of people. And it's talking about water flowing directly from him. There's, there's, there's fruit, life, light, all in the presence of God. And of course, because of that, there's healing. Like anything that we could ever need as humans is found there. And not just our like base needs for existence. But think about it, like our need to feel loved, done. Our heavenly Father's right there. His light surrounds us. Our need to feel secure, no problem. Our name's on his head. Any, anything we need, we just charge the Father's account. It's Matthew 6, played out in reality. Our need to feel accepted. We've been given his name. We've been given the benefits of being a part of his family. All needs met forever. And so if you're sitting there thinking, Matt, that sounds good, but that's, that's future. That feels a little too far away to give me any hope right now, any strength for today. I get the hope for tomorrow, but let's talk about the strength for today. So we talked about Jesus saying, hey, it's like he responded to, to Martha's, it's not gonna be this way, because he is the resurrection, but let's talk about him being the life. Let's see how he responds, and he says, not, not only is it not gonna be that way, because he's gonna come back and make all things new, but it doesn't have to be this way. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 the Greek, so we, we maybe even have it memorized, is if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. But the Greek, the literal translation literally just says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's almost like an exclamation. It's almost like if anyone is in Christ, boom, new creation. The reason why it doesn't have to be this way is because God is making us new. He's doing it right now. When, he, when, the, when all through the New Testament, the, the authors, especially Paul, is processing what it meant to have a crucified and resurrected Messiah, and he's using those words renew, he's using the word reconciled, new creation, for him, that is not separate at all from the future hope of what Isaiah 65 talked about. Like, we are literally the new creation on earth right now if we're in Christ, that's why last week we talked about the words of life and the way of life, how they can't be separate. It's interesting, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 gives that little synopsis of the gospel. He talks about the resurrection and the body coming to fruition. And then the last sentence that he gives is, therefore, we know that when we do the work of the Lord, it's not in vain. And I've been thinking on that this week, like why, 
does the work that the Lord's work that we do, why is it not in vain? And I think it's exactly because we are called to live that resurrected life now. The way of life that we offer as disciples of Jesus, where we do, where we feed the hungry, where we house the homeless, where we love the marginalized, where we take those words of the good news of Jesus Christ, but also the, the works of mercy that Jesus showed us, it's because in the same way that Jesus was proving that heaven is infiltrating earth, that's what we're called to do. Wherever we find ourselves in life, we're called to make little outposts of heaven in this tension in this world of jars of clay. That's why social justice, it's such a bummer. It's become a, like, a, like a bad word, a taboo word for so much of the Christian church because that's the way as we do the Lord's work that it's not in vain. Because that's the way that we get to practically, because of what we believe about Jesus, that we get to practically see our prayer come true of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven where all wrongs are made right, where all children are brought home, where all needs are being met. That's what we're called to do. But there's also this very real thing that's happening within us, where as we behold the glory of Jesus Christ, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that, that we are being transformed day by day into the image of God. It's where we, we like take the, the Sermon on the Mount and we think there's no way I can love my enemies. But eventually we get past kind of the theological questions of like how does that work within our framework of just war theory and how does that work like if, if standing up to a bully, whatever. And we find at some point that no, actually forgiving our enemies, like there's life found there. Or we read about like, man, maybe, maybe it is, there is something about like not spending all my money on my own needs and wants, but actually giving it away, it's providing life for someone else. That's why we believe in the work Amy's doing with Bold Hope in the DR where these kids sponsored each month. It's like, yeah, we like, this. Is, okay, just personally, this is what I'm figuring out. YouTube TV is the only way I get to watch English Premier League soccer. But man, like, this is just me. I'm, I'm thinking, like, if I just gave that up, I could like feed two kids in the Dominican Republic every day and give them an education. So this is not to shame anybody else. It's just me as like a human who has to stand on stage with a microphone in front of people. Like this is something I'm processing. Like if my job is to see new creation and be the new creation on earth until like before Jesus returns, these are the things we have to work through. And we call it sanctification. We call it Christ-likeness, whatever. But what it is, it's literally the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, Paul says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in us. And that's why he talked about the creation groaning for the day of the redemptions of the Son of God, the sons of earth. He's talking about new creation when Jesus comes back. We're groaning because this is eternal life. This is what Jesus said in John 17, that they know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Does that mean eternal life is something we wait for later? No, he says this is eternal life, that they know, that's a present active verb, you. So eternal life is something we get to be a part of now on earth. There's a quote by Dallas Willard. He was a professor, theologian, wrote a bunch of like, great books, and he was talking to his mentee. He was, like, he, he was diagnosed with cancer. It was getting along the end, like, towards the end of his life, and he was just talking about 
the, the reality of being in God's presence and living in God's presence now, practicing that so that we get to experience it forever. And he said, you know, I think it'll take me a few minutes to realize I'm in heaven. Because he so much believed and practiced the reality of being made new by God every day. And so as, as we end, the question that Martha asked, and then Jesus came back to her, we end with that, do you believe this? Like when, when Jesus was asking Mar- Martha this, he wasn't asking if she can say yes, because she could. But what, she was, what he was asking was, do you believe that instead of saying, I gotta get to that day, do you believe you can say it starts now? And it, and it starts today. Because that's what we're called to do is we live in the future hope. We're given strength for today by practicing presence with God, by being with God. Our, our, the world and the culture we live in doesn't need people who have all the answers about the Bible. What they need is a people who have spent time with God and can bring the words of life to them. So let me just ask, if you don't believe, can today be that day? That as you hear the story of Jesus, that he came to earth from heaven, he brought heaven to earth, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin that separated us from God, and then he rose from the grave, making it possible for us to live in his presence now, with him, with his spirit in us, and then forever with him in the future? Let me just ask you, can you believe that today? Just like Jesus asked Martha, can you believe this? And if you do believe this, if this is a story following Jesus that you've been figuring out and you're, you're in a journey following Jesus, it's a great day to take communion because we know, like I mentioned earlier, Jesus said at the Last Supper that he won't drink the, the, the cup again, the wine of fellowship with his people forever until he returns one day and heaven and earth are fully and finally consummated. And so as we, as we take communion, we get a moment to... to to look a few different directions in our hearts. We, we, we get a chance in communion to look back and we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, that his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out to establish the new covenant where his spirit lives in us. We get an opportunity to look around us, like, like church when we gather and worship. It is, a, it is a small picture of this new heaven And so as we look around at at each other, the saints who have been called by Jesus' name, we get to remember that eventually, finally, all children of God are going to be brought home. And then we get to look ahead, remembering that as we take the the bread, as we take communion, we remember the, the sacrifice of Jesus and that one day, finally, fully, we will sit at the feast with him in his presence. And his life will be our light and his glory will be what shines during the day. So let's just take a minute, let's just take a moment, and let's just, wherever you are, however you need to respond, you can close your eyes. If, if coming up to the altar and praying is, is something you grew up doing, and it's a symbol of coming to the throne of God to pray before him, feel free to do that. We have some prayer team in the back if there's something you need prayer for, um, or if you made a spiritually significant decision today, like if today was the day that you placed your faith in Jesus, and we would love to know that, to talk to you about that. If you scan the QR code, you can send prayer requests that way or let us know. But let's just take a moment as the band comes up just to to think through 
that reality, the realities we talked about today, that Jesus has made possible through his life and his death. And that's why before we take communion, we repent of sin, we confess sin to God, because we know that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse of us of all unrighteousness. Because as we take the bread, we do it to remind ourselves of, of the purity and the righteousness that we get to dwell in with God forever. So what we'll do is feel free to respond as long as you need to. I'm gonna pray for us, and then whenever you're ready, you can come up. Our elders are gonna be standing at the table to hand the, the bread and the, the cup to you. So whenever you're ready, you can come forward, take it, go back to your seat, and then I'll lead us through taking the, the elements in just a moment. So Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you that not only do we have this great hope for the future, but that hope and that reality starts today. And that we as a people who have been called by your name can live in the, in the reality that you love us, that you've died for us, and that you've given us your spirit, and you are making us new day by day. So in those moments where we feel that tension of having this treasure, but still being in jars of clay, Jesus, remind us, like Paul wrote to Titus, that, that we await the hope, which is your appearing, where you finally and fully make all things right. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus, as we take the bread, we remember that you came in, in our broken flesh. You lived realities of heartbreak, of joy, of sadness, of betrayal, of pain. And it's because your body was broken that we take this bread. Jesus, as we take the juice, we're reminded that your blood was spilled for us to wash us white as snow and pay the penalty for sin. And that because of that, you establish the new covenant where your spirit lives in us. So we take the juice. Jesus, as we worship you, be with us. Make yourself real to us in this moment so that as we go out, we can remember that we are new creation and that we get to see that finally and fully fulfilled one day because of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.